What a blessing. Thank God for his grace. He came really far down, and uh, we're going to see that this morning in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to talk this morning about the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? He tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, it is something we are to allow to be in us. It's available to every believer. You can think with the mind of Christ. The flesh tells you, you'll think the way you always thought. The flesh is a liar. Flesh is dead. Why is it even talking? But it does. The devil will tell you, you're not worthy of the mind of Christ being in you. All you have to do is point to the cross where Jesus stretched out his arms and died for you, not because you are worthy, to make you worthy. If the death of Christ is true, it is possible for you to be found worthy in him. People around you say, who do you think you are? You're nothing special. And boy, aren't, aren't they telling the truth. But it is possible for you and I, sons of God, believers in Jesus Christ, to think with the mind of Christ. Man, if I were a teenager, I might say, how cool is that? It's unbelievable. You ever wish you could just spend a moment living someone else's life? Not me. Well, why do you keep scrolling Facebook then? We all are interested in other people's lives. What would it be like to do that? You know, what, what would it be like to have a tool like that? What would it be like to have eyelashes that long? Wow. Man, I could really get somewhere in life. Enter the room before you do. What would, it be, what would it be like to go there on vacation? That would be awesome, right? We all think about what it would be like to experience the world as someone else. We live, so to speak, vicariously. The vicarious life is what my life is based on. You see, I can live not just pretend for a couple days to be something different. I have an opportunity to live my entire, the rest of my eternity in the identity of someone else. Jesus Christ. He says in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. <laughs> what I find amazing, he has to tell me to allow Jesus' mind to be my mind. What a privilege it is that I could ever even think the thoughts of Christ. Further, that his mind could be in my mind. Wait a minute, I don't need my mind anymore if I got his mind. Okay, get rid of that. But to think that the, the problem, the only obstacle that's standing in the way is I won't let it happen. That's an amazing thought. So he has to tell us, let this mind be in you. Allow Jesus Christ's mind to be in you. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean I pray all day? Well, you certainly will be praying. 
just without ever hanging up the phone. I mean, Jesus talked with his father all the time. Yeah, prayer is certainly part of it. Well, that mean that I walk around like this? I'm not sure where that came from. Probably religion, right? Um, will that mean I have a halo on my head? Will that, will that mean that, that I'm awesome? I can walk on water? He explains to us what the mind of Christ is. And if you really want to live the Christian life, like if I'll give you an example. There's something in all of us that we know we're supposed to do the right thing. And sometimes we do the right thing, even though we really don't want to do that. That's the outward. That's the body. You can make your body do things. How many of you go to work when you don't feel like it? You make your body do things, right? But there's a difference when your mind is consumed by something. You know, the greatest inventions in the world did not come because somebody cracked the whip. They didn't come because they they were being paid to come up with it. The greatest inventions of the world, the greatest acts that the world has ever seen have been because the person was consumed in their mind with this thing. So they had to do it. They, they, they couldn't think of other things. They, they got rid of all the other junk and they had one thing on their mind. And what was the one thing that Jesus had? You're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. And I fear for us, a lot of us as Christians, we're not going to want to really tap into this thing. Because if you get into this thing right here, it will, it will blow your popsicle stand up. All your dreams and pleasures and ideas are going to be out the window. Here's the mind of Christ. Verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here we have in Philippians 2, the downward steps taken by Jesus Christ as he made his way from heaven all the way down to the cross. And we also see the upward steps where Jesus made his way back to his rightful place in glory, seated at the right hand of the throne of God to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever. Our great high priest, our intercessor, the savior of sinners. And this portion of scripture is unparalleled. Because never have we seen one so great come so low to be exalted so high. It is a thumbnail sketch of the entire theme of the Bible. The glorification of the rightful king. And you and I just happened, just happened. We just got to be a part of that theme. Sometimes we think of the theme of the Bible as the salvation of man. And I am so glad that it is a sub-theme of the Bible. It's very important as far as I'm concerned. In fact, I might even think it's the most important thing, being human, that Jesus came down to save sinners. I'm so glad that he did. But may I remind you that Jesus Christ did not need us in order to be great. He did not need us as subjects in order to be a king. He was the rule. He created all of this universe by the word of his power. He was in glory, worshipped and adored before you and I were ever thought about. Truly, the theme of the Bible 
is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. But I want you to see here, that's where the story starts. The mind of Christ starts in verse number 6, being in the form of God. He is God in visible form. In eternity past, before there was a heaven, before there was an earth, before there was a sun, a moon, stars, planets, Jesus Christ existed in the form of God. Before there was time, before there was man, before there were angels, before there were devils, there eternally eternally existed a being known as the Son of God, Almighty God. This Lord Jesus Christ, this creator, this sustainer of all things, he is the alpha male. He said he's the alpha and he's the omega. He allowed men and angels and cherubim and seraphim to worship him. We see that the lamb is worshiped by the the four beasts and the 24 elders there in the book of Revelation. And I would ask you this question, if Jesus Christ is not God, how presumptuous is he? I say this reverently, we need to kick him out of heaven if he's taking worship from God. Hey, Lucifer got knocked down a few pegs, didn't he, for, t- for wanting worship? But Jesus Christ accepted worship. That's who we're talking about. Being in the form of God, when he's adored as the almighty God, when he's magnified as Lord of all, when he's worshipped, he's not taking a position that he has not been given that is not rightfully his. He is God Almighty. But being in the form of God, he made himself, this holy God, the God in visible form, he made himself what? Not a great king. He was already a great king. He made himself not Lord of all. He was already Lord of all. He made himself not the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. No, he already had that place from time past. This is the one around whom those, around whose throne that those curious beings, the seraphim, fly. Be, be careful that you don't make God just a man. Be careful what color skin you put on God. Be, be careful what, what, what you think about God. We have this idea that we know And if we're not careful, he looks an awful lot like the leaders and authorities, maybe the the, the father that we had. God is altogether different than humans. Man was made in the image of God, but may I remind you that that is a broken image. We look up to the throne, we see unusual creatures. I mean, you want sci-fi, you want fantasy novels? No one has yet been able to rightfully depict what those creatures look like. And they fly around the throne and they say three words because they just can't think of anything else that's better. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as soon as they say it, it, it like strikes them again. Holy, holy, holy. They're not saying it as robots. They're saying it because it's so true they can't help but say it. We're, we're almost overindulged with our, our feelings and passions. It's hard for us to feel anything to the point where we actually involuntarily say things. It normally takes something like a crash, you know, <gasps> something unusual, a lightning bolt. It's, un, it's hard to impress us as Americans, isn't it? 
But here the seraphim, they rest not day or night. They continually say this. This is the God that we're talking about. This is the one that said, let there be light, and there was light. He upholds all things by the word of his power. The atomic structure is is because of the word of God. Okay, this is the one who made himself what? Of no reputation. He erased everything in his resume. Now, I don't know if you've ever put together a resume. The first one I ever put together was about 22 years of age. Not even 22, I was 21. And I knew I had a lot of experiences, but didn't have a lot of marketable skills. So as I'm putting my reputation, my resume down, I'm, I'm writing stuff down and I'm like, you know, that's kind of like this. Kind of pad the resume a little bit. Now, for some of you, you have a lot of accomplishments. You don't have to pad your resume. You can just say, I worked here. People are like, oh, that's higher, hire that one right there. But, you know, it's interesting. A lot of us, we, we would look at our resume. And, and for men in the room here, a man, a lot of times, what's the first question you ask a guy? What do you do for a living? We're, we're connected with our, our job. Our job is our identity. And, and why? Man was created to work. And you ought to work. You ought to have something that you do. If you want to hate your life, sit around and play video games all day long. You will hate your life, starting with yourself. And then that will spread to everyone around you. God, God created man to work. You need to work. But, but here's, here's what happens. As we go forward, we begin to add to our resume. We begin to have uh, awards. We begin to have uh, levels of accomplishment. People begin to recognize that that's a good worker. He does a good job. He's trustworthy. We start to add to these things. Now, we also have a few areas where we failed, projects that didn't go so well, people that, you know, we failed. Uh, we've been called out for not doing our job. We maybe got let go from a job or people were disappointed in us. All those things are, we don't include those in our resume. I mean, those are things like, hey, that's human, right? We all make mistakes. But I put down the stuff that's like, yeah, I was good at this, and I did that, and for years I did this. You know what Jesus did? He went to Indeed.com. Jesus Christ. That was it. Submit. And everybody that came across him, they look at his, at his, at his resume like, who is this? Where are you from? What do you know how to do? I mean, he erased his reputation. Isn't that what it said? When he walked in the door, you didn't say, it's the Lord of the universe. When you walked in the door, you didn't notice him. In fact, the Bible says, He hath no form in Isaiah 53, nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire. You wouldn't pick Jesus out of a lineup to lead a Girl Scout troop. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't a man. I'm not saying he he wasn't capable. The Bible tells us that he was raised by a carpenter and that he was himself a carpenter. That's good, honest labor. Creating something. He had calloused hands. He was a man's man. But you didn't look at him and say, wow, what a guy. The crazy thing is, if Jesus walked into the room, you probably wouldn't notice him. I'm not talking about in his earthly ministry. We know that 
crowds thronged him. I'm talking about before that. I've got a question for you. From the time he was 12 to the time he was 30, what was he doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's working next to you in the cubicle. He lived on your street. He was a normal, unrecognizable guy. You say, what, how could you possibly say that about the Son of God? I didn't say that. He said that. He made himself of no reputation. The mind of Christ is opposite of my mind. I'm trying to climb the ladder. He was already at the top. He invented the ladder. In fact, he is the ladder. The Bible says that the, son, that the angels ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. The ladder that Jacob dreamed about was Jesus Christ. He's the connection between God and man. And what did he do? He threw the ladder away and he came down to the very bottom, under the bottom rung. This is the mind of Christ. So you're trying to climb the ladder. You're not going to be very Christ-like. I just want to get that promotion. I just want to be better. I want to, I want to prove to them. And boy, listen, I wouldn't give you a, a plug nickel for a guy that didn't have some kind of competitive spirit in his heart. Wanting to be better, wanting to do more, wanting to earn more, wanting to, wanting to get to the front of the line. Hey, I love it. I love, I love the sports, the competitiveness in sports. And, and that transfers over to, uh, to the business world. Hey, let's get in there. Let's do it. I love that. You know what Jesus did? He threw all of that out the window. He made himself of no reputation. Not only that, the Bible says he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. Here's one who his very uniqueness of his birth, the virginity of his mother, became the laughingstock of jokes. It be, the thing that made him unique got him criticized by other people. He's a man who you'd probably see crying like as not. He, he was acquainted with griefs. You might even say, why are you so down? Why are you so burdened down? In other words, he wasn't the spokesman for the commercials. He wasn't the guy that was the captain of the football team. He made him, why? Not because he couldn't do it. He intentionally chose to go the opposite direction of ambition and fame and glory. And then it says, he took upon him the form of a servant. He laid aside his right to demand service, and boy, did he have that right. And he chose instead to be waited on. So he walked into the restaurant and he said, I'm here to serve. Not, can I make money so I can get some gas and get home? No, he said, I'm here to serve. Not, where are those waiters? Man, it's like, there's no service anymore. And <laughs> Am I right? There's no service anymore, hardly. There's still some good ones out there. But when Jesus came, he came to be a servant. Not to be adored and to be treated like a king, which he was. Not to be worshipped. He came to wash the feet of men. That's disgusting. You ever have someone 
You're sitting maybe, you know, on the couch or something, and all of a sudden here comes a foot. And you look at that, and you're like, that's, the disgust- that's so disgusting. Right? He came to dry the tears of women. He, he came to lift the burdens of those who were weighed down. He came in the room, and he said, how can I help? He came to heal the broken hearts. He came to eat, not at the front head table. He just hung out with the blue-collar folk. Now, he could mix it up with the best of them, but he really chose the common people. He came to die like you and like me. He came to rub shoulders with people who were outcasts. This Lord of Lords took upon him the form of a servant. And then, as insulting as that may be, he went even further. And the Bible says next, he was made in the likeness of men. Now, he was already a servant, yes, but may I remind you that angels serve God. And they do so without shame. It's not a shameful thing to be a servant. In, In the universe, God gets all the glory. The hosts of heaven don't have a reputation, they give all the glory to God. They say, holy is the Lord. It was a step down to allow his father to have all the reputation and for Jesus to have none. But for Jesus Christ, it was a step lower even to be made in the likeness of men. To be made in the likeness of these and, and to be found in the form of a servant. It was, it was lower than that. Why? Because man is a fallen creature. Man, because of man's sin, he lost the perfection. He lost even the possibility of perfection. Now, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, they can try to get a neural connection between the physical brain and a computer... And some have even stated that they'd like to continue their existence beyond the physical functioning of their body. They want to transfer transfer their brain from their head into a computer so that somehow they can continue to live virtually. You know the reason why they're really trying to do that? Is because they know they're going to die. And they know that they're going to get put in the ground And they're really afraid that their existence is all over with. And maybe, just maybe in the back of their minds, they're afraid that their real existence does not end, but it continues eternally in a lake of fire. I don't know. But I know this. Mankind doesn't get to live forever physically. It's over with. We lost it because of sin. So can you imagine the humbling that Jesus Christ had to take when he took on him, not the angels, The angels, by the way, are privileged to worship God, but he went lower than that. The Bible says man is made a little lower than the angels. No matter how great we think we are, we're still under a created being. And who knows how many levels of created beings there are in the angelic realm. So now he's under made in the likeness of men. The Bible says that man was made in the image of God. Let us make man in our likeness. Here's the thing. God made man in his likeness. And now God is going to be made in the likeness of men. Hmm. 
It's almost as if he, he were undercover boss. Did you hear about the undercover boss that got fired from his job? I couldn't believe it. He, he, he's the boss, the CEO of the company. And he goes in to work, and the guy's like, he, he's supposed to be taping these boxes, and he doesn't know how to do it. This woman over here is like, and he's like, so you do like this, you know? He's trying, and the guy's like, man, comes over and says, I'm sorry to tell you, we're, we're going to have to move on, you know, we're going to have to let you go. He got fired. How embarrassing is that? Jesus Christ, if you will, got fired from being God. Now, when I say he got fired, I don't mean he lost his divinity. I mean, he intentionally demoted himself all the way down. Now, don't think too deeply theologically about that. It's a general truth, okay? Don't, don't go too far with that. He took upon him the likeness of men. Really the greatest downward step of them all. In other words, he did not have a glow about him. He, just for a brief time on the Mount of Transfiguration, you saw the Lord of glory. And then it was back to undistinguished in a crowd. Unrecognizable in a group of people is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. I mean, Jesus had, mul- and yeah, he had multitudes and he performed miracles. But how many events in his life before the age of 30 can you recall? Where he was talking, where he was acting of his own accord. I can only think of one. When he was 12 years of age. The rest of his 30 years is shadowed. It's a mystery what was happening. He was living a normal human life. What a remarkable thing that Jesus Christ would stoop that low for you and I. When he came to school... It wasn't like, hey, Jesus, sit with me. Jesus was just one of the guys. You ever, been, you ever been the new kid on the block? You ever been the outcast? You ever been the stranger? That was Jesus Christ when he came to earth. People were not making room for him. They didn't even think about him. And then it says, and being found in fashion as a man, he's wearing the fashion A garment, clothing of what? Of a human body. The Bible tells us that we we are clothed upon with a body. So a lot of us think of ourselves as, uh, and, and maybe men think of this more, that we're a body and we have a spirit inside of that body. The truth is we are spirits who have a body. Somebody called it our earth suit. It's what helps us interact with the physical world. But how many are realizing that this old house is starting to break down? That song that Stuart Hamblin wrote about this old house once due, well, you know, he's singing all about the house is breaking down and it lets in the cold, this old house. He's talking about being old and stuff is breaking down. And it's true. Now, you can deny it and you can, you know, take growth hormones or human growth hormones or whatever and try to pretend like you're getting younger. And it may last a little bit. But, but, but you and I know that this body is wearing out. Jesus took upon him the form of a servant made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He looked like that. That's what he looked like. He put on human fashion. And then it says, he humbled himself 
and became obedient unto death. More than leaving heaven's glory, more than laying aside the form of God, more than being made in the likeness of men, here he is humbling himself to be obedient unto death. You know what that shows us? It shows us that Jesus Christ came into the world for the purpose of dying. Purpose of dying. How many things do we do as humans for the purpose of dying? There's men and women who serve proudly in our military forces and we're grateful for them. But they do not sign up for the purpose of dying. They're willing to die if necessary for the purpose of what? Preserving our freedoms. But they're not signing up to die. Nobody signs up to die, even though we all know we're going to die. Jesus Christ came here to die. The mind of Christ says, I'm not running from the cross. I'm running to the cross. This is a different mind than we think with our human brain. His death was the plan of God the Father and God the Son before he ever came here. He wasn't killed by a group of religious leaders who were working in concert with Roman government officials. He was not killed by man. He came willingly and obediently, and he submitted himself to death. Why? Because it was the plan that was determined upon by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in the Holy Council of Heaven before he ever came. Somebody decided that Jesus Christ must die. And the beauty of of God is that he is in concert with himself. He is the Trinity. But still, somebody said, and maybe they all said it at the same time, Jesus is going to die. Now, it's one thing to be willing to do that. It's another thing for the, the God who is three in one for them all to say together, here's the plan, and for them all to agree. That's how I know God's not a Baptist. Because they, they worked in concert and they all agreed at the same time. And that's not a fair shot. The truth is, God's not a human because humans can't do that in that sense. Here is the eternal God and the in, in, in agreement together, they all say, Jesus is going to die. Jesus Christ came down. But when he came down, it was an act of obedience. Interesting thought. Jesus was obedient unto death. Think about that. If I say, hey, want some biscuits and gravy? If you're from the South, you're not obeying me to eat biscuits and gravy because you already want to eat it. Amen? Glory. Anybody out there that know? I mean, biscuits, right? If somebody said, hey, you want an ice cold Coke on a hot day? I'm not talking to you snooty people. I'm talking to you real people. Ice cold Coke on a, on a hot day? I don't have to obey you. It's like, okay, fine, you convinced me. No, I want to do it. So I ask you this question. Did Jesus Christ want to do this? I think the answer is yes. And yet, he had to become obedient unto death. Who in their right mind would want to die, number one? And who would want to die such a horrible death 
as the cross would provide. No one. He was willing to go to a place that he did not want to go. He chose to do it. He obeyed his father in doing this. He became obedient. Are you seeing the mind of Christ here? The mind of Christ was, I already have everything I want. I'm giving it up so I can endure the worst pain. I've never experienced pain. But I'm going to endure the worst pain, not just that I've ever experienced, but the worst pain that any human can experience. And I'm doing it on purpose. Why? Because my father said so. And I have no reason to disobey my father. I want to do what he tells me to do. We're talking about God humbling himself to die an excruciating death. That's what he did. Even the death of the cross. There, there, are, there are no corollaries in our society to the death of the cross. Why? Because we don't torture people to put them to death. But the Romans did. I mean, as a society, we barely even put people to death. We try to make it as humane as possible. You ever think about that word, humane? We're going to make you not a human anymore as humanely as possible. Why? Because we know that it's not fun to feel pain, and nobody wants to die. But by the way, from a judicial standpoint, from a a broad perspective in our culture, people do need to die for certain things. They do need to. When you take that away, what you're doing is you're erasing the distinction between right and wrong. You've got to preserve that. And you say that's, that's harmful and horrible. The Bible tells us in Romans 13 that the ministers of righteousness, in other words, government leaders, they have the sword, not in vain. They, he beareth not the sword in vain. What's the sword? The ability to end your life. And there are certain people that need to be put to death. I'm not talking about their eternal soul. They need to be saved, but their body needs to be killed. That's a horrible, a painful thing. But think about this. We do it as quickly and that's after years and years of court appeals and appeal to higher courts and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And, 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 and there's a part of me that says, yeah, I want to let that guy live as long as possible. But, but what, with what he's done, he needs to die. Even still, lethal injection. He goes to sleep, never to wake up again. Jesus Christ, by contrast, humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross. What is the cross? Well, if we're not careful, we're raised in in junior church, raised in Sunday school. We see Jesus Christ, thanks to Miss Betty Lukens, we see the cross and we think the cross is something spiritual. The cross is not spiritual. The cross is horrible. The cross was invented to hurt people as long as possible before they died. It's, it's a method of execution, if you will. It's like the electric chair, but instead of a jolt, it's just a continual shot of electricity and then a little recovery and then another shot of electricity and a little recovery and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a lot and then a little bit of recovery and then more and it continues for hours. That's what the cross is all about. When Jesus Christ submitted to die, he did not submit to a switch being thrown. It was over the course of hours that he died, and he knew what he was going to. He knew what the cross was before it was even invented. And he knew that the man, the mind of man, would conceive something so torturous 
that they had not even considered yet up to that point. But by the time Jesus came in, it was a well-established practice. And he said, I knew they were going to get there. I knew mankind would eventually get to the point where they would torture people as long as possible. The death of the cross. Also, the, the horrific shame of the cross. Here is the one who went around doing good, healing people, raising people from the dead, making the blind to see. Here he is hanging on this cross, and a declaration is being made by being on that cross that this man is a, such a bad man that we don't even want him in a society full of sinners. Get him out of here. He's like a bug pinned to that wooden crossbeam. Why? Because it's disgusting. Squash that bug, sometimes I hear. Get rid of that thing. Why? Because it's, it's abhorrent. I don't want that thing around here. It turns my stomach. It freaks me out. Get rid of it. That was what Jesus Christ endured. Being put up there as the Lord of Lords, pinned to a cross as a common criminal. And there he hangs, naked, beaten, abused, bleeding, despised and rejected. And who is he? He's the Lord of glory. The Lord. And he knew that that is what awaited him when he came down to humble himself. He knew that that was the plan. And he submitted himself to that plan. So you could be saved. So that I could be saved. If you think somehow that you're on this long-term plan of being good enough to get to heaven, you've never taken a really good look at the Savior dying on the cross. Because I'm here to tell you, there is no one who is more worthy of worship, who has gone as far for someone as low as you and I than Jesus Christ. And for you to think that somehow eventually you'll get there by your good works or that somehow because you were, you were dunked under the water, something you did, or because you, you were confirmed, something you did, or, or because you were initiated somehow, or you went through some catechism classes, or, or somehow you, have, you, you feel this, this burning shame of being a bad person, and you're intent, you're going to be better. You're going to get to church. You're going to stop being a jerk and stop being uh, mean to everyone. You're going to change it all. Somehow or other, you are going to change you. Just ask you one question. If you could earn it, why did he die like that? Why did he go to such great lengths to come all the way down and die like that? So somehow you could have a part of it. Keep your hands off of salvation. He gives it to you. You don't earn it. You ought to come on your hands and knees before God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm not good enough. Hey, I'm not talking about you prayed a little prayer when you were three or four years old. Can you be saved at that age? Absolutely. But praying a prayer is not what did it. Can I tell you again? That's something you did. How is a person saved? The Bible tells us, with the heart, man believeth 
under righteousness. Believe what? Believe that my good works, my reputation is just not good enough. But his death on the cross and his subsequent burial and resurrection, that's enough to please a holy God in heaven. That's enough to provide salvation for every man and woman, boy and girl on this planet. That's enough. It is finished. Nothing can be added or taken away from what Christ has done. And we glory in what he has done. Listen, if you don't remember the time that you, in your heart, in your mind, said, God, you died for me on that cross. You paid for my sins on that cross. And I place my living soul, my eternal existence on you. If you don't remember a time you did that, I would suggest to you, and I can tell you, you are not a child of God. You're not saved. When you leave this world, you will not be with God. You'll be in hell. Why? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. It was all the grace of God. It was the love of God given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Can you remember that day where you transferred your burden of sin to the cross of Jesus Christ and saw him there paying the punishment that you could never pay? I can tell you confidently, he that hath the Son hath life. You have eternal life if you put your heart and soul onto that cross and said, Lord, I surrender me. I surrender everything I've done. I turn from my own ways and I rest solely on what you did. If you can remember the day that you did that, you can remember turning from darkness and saying, Lord, I need you. I can tell you confidently from the Bible, you are a child of God, not just today, but for eternity. You don't just get salvation and then keep up the payments. No, that's something he did for you. And I can tell you, thank God, he does it for you the rest of eternity. Why? He never stops being who he is. He will always be your salvation. But I want to finish by backtracking. He said, let this mind be in you. That mind, that humility of mind is what he's talking about. In the first four verses of the chapter. Look at verse number one. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, have we found any of that in the person of Christ? Oh, yes, we have. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love. The same love. Same as what? Same as Jesus' love. Being of one accord. With whom? With Jesus. Being of one mind. What, 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 what mind? The mind of Christ. When G- Let me ask you something. Does your love for your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your wife, your child, your parents, your brothers and sisters in Christ, does it have any fellowship, any understanding of that kind of love? That's what he's exhorting us to have. Let this mind be in you. The mind that Jesus has towards others is the mind that you and I are supposed to have for others. Verse number three says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. When Jesus Christ hung on that cross, dying for someone 
who belonged there. He's where he doesn't belong, dying for someone who did belong there. What do you see? Do you see a total absence of strife and vainglory? Do you see any malice? Do you see any hatred or bitterness? I don't. I see that he has allowed his very blood to be drained out of him. Everything that you and I might feel towards someone who would put us on the cross like that was gone. Do you see the Lord Jesus Christ who was better placing himself under the very wrath of God for the person who was worse? Let each esteem other better than themselves. That's the mind of Christ. He says in verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He ignored his own well-being and he looked out for my well-being. He laid aside all the good that he was rightfully entitled to so that you and I, through his grace, could receive a blessing to which we were never entitled. That's the description of the mind of Christ. You see, my friends, this is the center point of Christianity. This is the crux of the Christian life. Jesus is not set forth in this passage as dying for the sins of the world, though he, of course, did. In this passage, he is not being shown as saving us from hell, though he certainly has. What we see in this passage is Jesus Christ dying on a cross to show you and I how our heart should be towards one another. Wow. I kind of like just coming to church and getting something for me. Oh, that's good, and you should. But do you see how much more the Lord of glory calls us to? The mind of love for one another is supposed to follow the example of the mind of Jesus Christ who came all the way down for you and for me. That's God's testimony of self-sacrificial love. And it is to that high calling that we're supposed to press and to run. Christian, don't get isolated in your heart and say, I'm saved, thank God, I'm out of here when he calls me. If the rapture were to happen, I'm out of here. And that's true. I'm so glad that I'm not in that old world and that old life. And thank God I'm out of that. And I'm Yes, that's true. But the mind of Christ that he implores us to have in us is a mind that says, you're more important than me. I care more about what's going on in your life than what's going on in my life. I'm willing to serve you. A lot of Baptists, we're just trying to get to church so we can get out of there. Just trying to check the box that nobody calls us. Jesus said, I was already in the best fellowship meeting of all time. I already had a buffet. I already had all the food I could possibly want. I had people worshiping me and bowing down and, and choirs singing praises to me. And I left it. Why did I leave it? Not for myself, but for you. I'm here to tell you, church. When we as believers allow that mind to be in us, then the world will say, those people are following Jesus Christ. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, 
if you have love one to another. You say, well, what does this mean? I got no problem with anybody at church. I love them all. Do you love them like that? Do you love them like the mind of Christ loves them? Where does it start? I'm happy to tell you, you have some subjects. Most of us have some uh, opportunity to put this into practice. It starts in our homes. It starts with our spouse, who may or may not be on the same page as we are. It starts with our children, who may be pulling in the opposite direction. It starts with our parents, who may not quite understand what we're trying to do for God. It starts with our cousins, our uncles, our aunts. It starts with our neighbors. It starts with our brothers and sisters in Christ, where we look at them and we say, God, what can I do to have the mind of Christ towards these believers? I'm so encouraged. I've been hearing a lot about people saying, hey, how's so-and-so doing? How's she doing? We're going to go over and visit her. We're going to bring him some food. We're going to talk to them. What is that? That's the mind of Christ that says, I care about others. It is the center point. It is the crux of the Christian life. The love of God manifested in the Lord Jesus delivered to us by the Holy Spirit and living through us to others. May God help us not just to be saved, but to be Christians. Let's bow our heads in prayer.